we're in the midst of a, a series I'm calling History, His Story, because all of history really is his story. And we're looking at the life of a man of faith, one of the greatest men of faith who ever lived outside of Jesus Christ, and that's Abraham. And, and as we study his life, things have, have begun to open up for us. And I think today is going to be a really special day for some of us. Have you ever been to a really good movie? I mean, there's almost nothing like it. You're on the edge of your seat. You forget you're, you're in the theater. And that's a big difference between just like a mediocre one where you know you can just kind of feel everyone sitting around you. You hear popcorn munching, and right? Or what about a great book? When you're reading a great book and you, you, you want to get to the end because it's so good and yet you don't want it to ever end because it's so good, right? Why do we love stories so much? It's because we're made in the image of God. He's the epic storyteller, and he has an epic story for the children of Adam and Eve, and he has something for us way better than the little telenovela that some of us are living. He's got this amazing story for us, and he loves to tell stories. We see one here this morning, Abraham. He's called him from his country, Ur of the Chaldees, where they, he was worshiping idols and other things. And he says he appeared to him and he began a relationship with Abraham. And he said, I want you to go to a land that you don't know, the promised land, the land of Canaan. And so Abraham does. He begins to move. And then he says, I'm going to give you a child of promise. And as Abraham grows older and older, uh, he's wondering if that's really going to happen. How can that be? But he's trusting the, the, the things that God has told him are going to happen. An angel comes and says, this time next year you'll have a little one. And Sarah, his wife, she was so old, past childbirth time, ch child uh, birthing time. And she said that she laughed. The Bible says she laughed. And so the angel heard it. He says, why is Sarah laughing? No, this time next year you'll have a child. And God did this a miracle in this old couple. And they had a baby and they named him Isaac, which means laughter. And God said, through Isaac, I'm going to bless all the earth. In fact, there will be descendants like the sand of the seashore. Through this little boy, this is going to happen. And then we come to today's story. And today's story will kind of blow your mind. And what I want you to do is I want you to just kind of put aside for the moment any judgments or, or any uh, thoughts about what this is about in the, in the sense of like even the horror that you might feel when we first read this. I want you to, we'll talk more about that in a minute. We'll find out what this is really all about. But I want you to put yourself more in Abraham's shoes in the way that he would feel as all of this happens. I want you to feel the story with it, okay? So we'll begin to read in Genesis 22, and you can look there in your uh, little worship folder, open it up. I've got the words, th the words there for you. They're also up on the big screen. Or turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. It says this, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. 
So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over there. We will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, in his hand the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked on together. Isaac is probably eight, nine, ten years old right now. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father. And he said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there. And he arranged the wood. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear. And that word fear means reverence, have all for, love for God. Since you have not withheld your son your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Scholars have pointed out that Moses' narrative style is strikingly different from other authors of this day. Moses is the one who who wrote the first five books of the Bible. For example, if you look at Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, it's very wordy and, and, and he explains every little thing that anybody might be thinking or what the gods might be thinking and all of this kind of stuff. If you look at Moses' style, I, I, I guess what you would call it, there's an economy of words, if you will, that, that he he speaks and it's just little phrases and little thoughts. And we're left to kind of figure out a lot of it and kind of feel it. But I think that economy of words it really does kind of put us in the story. I mean, you begin to think about what did Abraham really feel like? Did he argue with God? Did, uh, did he go to Sarah and, and what did he say to her? And, and what was Isaac thinking in all of this time? And why, why did God do this anyway? What's this all about? It's almost like you can see Abraham silhouetted against the morning sky as he's chopping wood upon which he thinks he's going to burn the corpse of his little boy. And, and there's something about that that grips us. I just wonder, what's happening here? I mean, how could a, a loving God ask Abraham to sacrifice his only son? That's a question that's been asked down through the millennia. Does God require human sacrifice? Well, all of the rest of the scripture says no. In fact, he condemns it. In fact, he says that it should not be done. In fact, he calls it sin. So obviously, that's not what it is. Something else must be going on. Now, it was common in this day 
to bring these sacrifices like this. The Near Eastern gods of the day uh, of Abraham, Molech. They sacrificed their children to Molech and somehow in the sacrifice, they thought that Molech drew strength from the life of these little ones as they killed them. In the, the pagan sexual rituals, they thought they gave potency to their gods. So that it was something that human beings had to do to give strength to their gods. But what we see with the God of Abraham is that he doesn't need human beings to give him strength. In fact, the Bible is very clear. He's the life giver. He doesn't need the sacrifice. So there must be something else going on here. What's what's going on? The theologian Donald Gray Barnhouse says, God is showing us here a pageant, a type, a parable of the heavenly father offering up his son. You see, what God in all of his genius, what he does, he doesn't just speak to us in words because he understands that the things that stick in our minds is not just a bunch of scrambled up words. It's the story. It's the movie that you remember. It's the illustration that the pastor told that you remember weeks later, not some of the other words that he he talked about. It's the story. And, And God knew that. And so he doesn't just present to us words. He also shows us pictures, a story, a movie, if you will, of, of what is to come. And, and what experts call this is typology. It's a, it's a type. It's a, it's a foreshadowing. We see that in other things in the Bible. When, when he called the, the Israelites out of Egypt and there was the Passover and they put, sprinkled the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. So the death angel would pass by their house. It's, it's a picture of what God was going to do in salvation later on. And they would practice out. And the Jewish people would go every year. They would celebrate that picture. Not knowing what it symbolized yet. Until Jesus came, we didn't understand what that Passover picture was all about. But it was always a picture. And that's what's going on in this. That's why even for God marriage is such a big deal because Paul says there's a deep mystery. There's a picture. It's the picture of Christ with his bride, the church, and how that interaction is going to be. And he wants to show the world through our marriages what that looks like. That's why it's such a big deal to God. And so we see these these types, this typology all down through the scripture. This was a one-time command, never given before, never given again. It was used by God to illustrate what God himself would be doing with his own son. So instead of being against God's love for us, it's all about God's love for us. It demonstrates that. You know, we're celebrating Mother's Day today, and I, I can just tell you, until I became a parent, I didn't understand the love that my mom and that my dad had for me. I couldn't understand it, but the moment that I had that little one, suddenly I realized what that felt like. I mean, you would rather be bullied than have them bullied at school, wouldn't you? You would rather feel what, what they're feeling if they're hurt or, or things are going on or they're struggling. You would gladly take their place. And, and, and that's, that's what this picture is trying to show us. Romans 8.32 says, God did not spare his own son but delivered him for us all. 
will he not also with him freely give us all things? It's interesting. Some scholars think Moriah, the name of the mountain that they went to, means foreshadowing. There's a deep in that, in the, in the meaning of that word is the, is the sense of foreshadowing or a pre-shadowing of things to come. I was reading a blog and this guy was talking about when he used to go with his family to Colorado Springs as a kid every summer. And he said that he would travel through western Kansas and eastern Colorado and he was on this old Highway 40 that was just a little two-lane highway and they would come to this little town. It really wasn't even a town. It just had a water tower and a couple of buildings, but it was called First View. And he said he always would see, oh, it's First View. And they would always stop because First View meant it was the first place that you could get a view of Pikes Peak some 110 miles away still. That's what this is. This is First View. God giving us in the book of Genesis, thousands of years before Jesus ever came, a First View into what's coming and what it's going to look like. One Bible scholar said, and I think this is accurate, it just resonated with me, that he thinks that this story is an answer to one of Abraham's prayers not recorded in the Bible. Because God kept telling Abraham over and over, through you all the earth will be blessed. And I'm sure Abraham must have asked as he talked with God all the time, what does that mean? I don't understand what that looks like. And of course, Jesus was talking, I mean, God was talking about Jesus coming. He was talking about the Messiah. And so the Lord allowed Abraham to enter as close as any human ever has into God's experience of sacrificing his own son for us. You know, one time in a, in a conversation with a group of religious leaders, they were claiming as Jews, we're the children of Abraham. We don't need any kind of salvation. And Jesus was saying, really, you're not children of Abraham. Jesus said this, Abraham rejoiced. He looked forward into the future and saw my day, and he was glad. He loved it. He was excited about my coming. Now, let me ask you, when do you think Abraham saw that? I think it was in this. Somehow in this, Moses' economy of words doesn't share it all with us. But God showed Abraham somehow through all of this that this is what was going to happen we see it a, a key is in the the name of the place he named that place Yahweh Jireh which means the Lord will provide or the Lord who has foreseen will do it it's interesting because it's future tense if he was talking about the ram caught in the thicket that God provided he would have said the Lord has provided but that's not what he said he said the Lord will provide he's looking forward to what God is going to do to the picture that God is showing through this he's looking forward to Jesus on the cross and he sees it in a moment and he feels it with the heavenly father the Lord invited Abraham into his own story Abraham's going through what God the father would later experience in his own son being given up for us. Psalm 69 and Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, all of those talk about what Jesus felt like on the cross in prophecy. This is the only place in Genesis 22 that we see what the cross felt like to God the Father. You multiply what Abraham was going through in his agony a million times and you feel 
what God felt with Jesus on the cross. And, and you just imagine, imagine as, as Moses shares this with us, there, there's these little phrases that just grab us. Imagine little eight-year-old Isaac, he's got the wood on his back as he's carrying it up the hill, the way Jesus is going to carry some wood on his back some thousands of years later. And he looks at his daddy, who he admires so much, and he says, Daddy, I, I, I see the, the fire in your hands. I've got the wood, but where is the lamb? I want you to put yourself in Abraham's place. You see, we know what happened. We might have heard this story from the time we were young, but Abraham is living it for the very first time. He doesn't know how this is going to turn out. Think of how excruciating that must have been. How it must have brought a catch in his, in his throat, a, a sob deep down in his heart as he's trying to be strong for his little boy, but he knows they're on the way for him to die. It's almost beyond imagination. Can't you just feel with him how he dragged his feet up that mountain? He probably walked so slow. Probably wouldn't have really taken him three days to get there. He just took forever because he knew where they were going. And then the pain deep down inside. and It shows us God's heart. You see, God the Father felt the same way when Jesus was in Gethsemane and he sweat those great Drops of blood, it says. It's a sweat so much that it was almost like blood pouring off of him. And he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. And all the Father could do was still point to the cross. You see, there was no lamb in the thicket for his little boy. And then as Jesus left the silence of the garden and he's handed over to the mob and he's mocked and he's scourged and he's spit on and he goes before Herod and Pilate and the injustice of it all. And finally... He's put on that cross. One of the things that always gets me in one of the songs that we sing, we have a, a video clip of God's teardrop. I want you to look at that. Take a look at God's teardrop. Jesus on the cross from the Father's perspective. No lamb found for his son. Can you even imagine what it must have been like as God himself takes the great knife of his wrath upon his own son the wrath that we deserved that's the work of the cross so Isaac asked where's the lamb God has told Abraham Isaac will be the lamb Abraham tells him God will provide it God will provide the lamb it's a word of prophecy thousands of years before the lamb appears Jesus, the Lord will see to it. The Lord will provide. God was calling Abraham to do something that made no sense. And in this act, it was possible for him to learn more of God's heart than maybe any human had ever, ever learned. Had he failed to obey, had he resisted, had he denied what the Lord wanted him to do, he would have never understood it. And, you know, I think in our lives there comes times that things are so difficult and so hard and we can't understand God's heart. God, it's as if his face is clouded from us and what we thought he was and who we thought he was doesn't line up with our circumstances. That's what's going on with Abraham here. 
something so demanding, so frightening, seemingly for no good reason, just because God allowed it and then God said so? Where did he find the strength to to carry through? The Bible gives us some inclination into that in verse 5. It said, Abraham said to the young men that he brought with him, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over there and worship and then return to you. We will worship and then return to you. Hebrews in the New Testament 11, 17 through 19 tells us more than what Moses said. It says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. It's interesting. See, Abraham knew God always kept his word. He had seen it. And there had been times that he disobeyed and doubted that, and he had always, it always ended up in trouble for him. This time he was determined to follow through. God always kept his word. And God said, in Isaac, all your descendants are going to come. Through Isaac, the world's going to be blessed. He spoke that boy's name over and over to him. And then he says, sacrifice Isaac. It's incongruent. It doesn't make sense. And what the New Testament tells us, here's what's going on in old Abraham's mind. I hear the promises of God. This action makes no sense to me. It looks like it would destroy all the promises that he's ever given me. But I know God now. I'm an old man. I've lived with him for a long time. And if God has to raise this boy from the dead, this is the boy. And so he told the young men, we'll come back to you. He was expecting a resurrection. It's interesting that Abraham believed in resurrection. You see, there had never been an Easter. There had never been a Lazarus raised from the dead. Yet he is so firm in his belief in God's character that God will follow through, that he won't lie, that he found peace in those struggles. Ray Steadman says it like this, Abraham risked everything he owned and loved upon the character of God and found him to be a God of resurrection. See, he didn't understand what God had asked him to do. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't have the end of the story. But he trusted God. He trusted God's heart so much. It's one thing to kill your son. If you imagine you're burying all your hopes and dreams with him. It's another thing to kill your son if you're sure you'll see him alive again. And all that's been promised to you is still going to come to pass. One scholar said in That, like it or not, is the Christian life. Trusting God to be true to his word no matter the circumstances of your life, no matter your bafflement at his management of the world, no matter your inability to explain the whys and the wherefores of God's plans and purposes. You see, Abraham had learned that God often acts in ways that are mysterious to us. It's interesting because the Bible, in the the Bible, there's nothing of the the chatty cliche and certainty about God's purposes that we hear from a lot of modern preachers. No, it's clouded in mystery. The Bible says very clearly, his ways are so much higher than our ways, we'll never get it. 
We'll never understand it. There's going to be times of deep confusion for the follower of God when it doesn't seem to make sense. Do we understand that? Do we know that? Because it's so easy in today's world with an American religion that says, oh, it's all going to be great. It's all going to work out fine. It's all going to be good. And people come up and quote true verses, but they quote them in such a cliche style. Well, remember, everything works out good. Everything going to end up good for those that follow God, you know. And God is saying, no, there's going to be times of deep confusion as you follow in faith. Times when, like Abraham, you can hardly put one foot in front of the other. But as you trust him, that's what it means to live by faith. One foot in front of the other. That's what it means to walk with God. Isaiah 53 says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of all of us. That verse fits like a Cinderella slipper. It's the Cinderella slipper verse of the Bible. Only one person in all of history can fit that verse, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting in this passage because he desires to be first in our lives, not just one of the first things, but to be first over everything else. That's what he's showing Abraham. I see now that you fear all, love me more than anything else. A man once said to an old missionary serving on a difficult field, he said, I would give everything in this world to have the peace you have. And the missionary responded, that's exactly what it costs, everything, as you give it all up to God. I read this week of Karen Watson, a missionary killed in Iraq. She wrote a letter to her pastor to be opened upon her death. And and let me just read it to you. It said, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory was my reward. His glory is my reward. And then she goes on to say, care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. practical. Expect more than some think is possible. I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. This is the Christian life. It demands a relationship. You can't do this trying to obey a bunch of rules. And God doesn't always explain why. In fact, rarely I have found that he tells us why. Now, he's not going to ask us to kill our children, but he does want us to offer our children back to him. And through the process of surrendering everything back to him, it's amazing what he does as he gives us abundant life. I think one of the major problems of the church today is that we've watered down God's word by minimizing the need that we have for this sacrifice. You see, without it, we are lost. We are hopeless. This is the only way. You, you hear a lot of people talking about this and they act like everybody's doing reasonably well, but Jesus will raise their happiness quotient a little bit. Kind of like well-fed people at a feast and then you just kind of add Jesus appetizer in there, you know? 
But the Bible says, no, Jesus is it. Jesus is the only way. We have this great need. What God is showing Abraham, Abraham had to be saying, why couldn't it have been a lamb? Why couldn't it have been something else? Why my son? And all through the Bible, it's really clear. And I think, again, Jesus is trying to get us to see the wages of sin equals death. There's only one answer for sin. Only one, death. The great justice of this God of the universe. It's interesting that none of the Ten Commandments have been spoken yet. And yet, as God says, there shall be no other God before me. He's showing Abraham in a picture form because all of the commandments emanate from God's being and who he is. And his great justice demands death for sin. There's a wage for sin. It's death. Someone's going to have to die. I don't understand all about that, but the justice of the character of God demands it, and that's why he paid that price for us. Either we die or he dies, and it cost him everything. Can you imagine what it felt like for his only son to die? And yet, We flippantly say so many times, well, I think there are many ways to God. Really? Do you see a father's heart? Abraham would never say that now. He knows just a taste of what it felt like to be God the father and send his son to die because it's the only way. There is no other way. Some of us have thought, well, maybe I can earn it. You know, maybe... Maybe I can, I can, you know, try harder and we haven't seen the depth of what it takes to deal with the sin in our lives. I think there's a lack of conviction today of understanding of what that means and what that costs and what that looks like. Years ago, There was a a, a missionary in India. His name was David Morris. And he developed a close relationship with a a, a pearl diver named Rumball. And this this old man, this pearl diver, he was one of the most famous pearl divers in all of India. And he would tell Rumball, David Morris would say, let me tell you the story of Jesus and why he came. And Rumball could never accept that. He always felt like, I need to earn this. I need to work for this. As Rumball got to be very old, he told his best friend, David Morris, he said, I want to make sure I get a place in heaven. So I'm going to spend my final days, I'm going to crawl on my hands and knees to the holy Delhi. And there, by doing that, even if I die on the way, I will have hopefully earned my way into heaven. And David Morse pleaded with them, it's only Jesus. You can't earn your way. It's a gift. It's Jesus. But he just couldn't accept it. The day that he was to leave for Delhi, he pulls out a strong box. And he opens it up. And he says to David Morse, I had a son. And David Morse had no idea. He thought that he had never had a family He said, no, I had a son many years ago. He was the greatest pearl diver in all these parts of India. And his quest was to find the perfect pearl. And he pulled out this most amazing pearl. Perfect, it seemed like, in almost every way. 
obviously worth many thousands of dollars. And he said, my son dove deep and found this pearl. But he went too deep. And it cost him his life. But he brought the pearl up before he died. And he said, I want to give this pearl to you because you're my best friend. I probably won't be coming back. David Morse couldn't believe it. And then all of a sudden a thought came to him. And he said, Rumbau, I will buy the pearl from you. I will give you $10,000 for that pearl. And Rumbau looked confused. And he goes, no, I'll give you $15,000. If it's more than that, I will work as hard as I need to work. Maybe I'm a little too proud, but I just can't accept it as a gift. Let me work for it. I will work for the pearl. Rumbau was deeply indignant and offended. And he said, this cost the life of my only son. It's priceless to me. I offer it to you as a gift. And David Morse choked up. And he said, Rumbau, that's what I've been telling you about Jesus. This is what the Father, God the Father did for you. You can never earn it. You could never work for it. He tore out his heart and he offered it to you. And Rumbau in that moment said, I see it. I see it. As tears streamed down his face. close your eyes with me without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins the Bible says very clearly I don't understand all about that but there are not many ways there are not many ways to God but there is a heavenly father that tore his heart out and he came and he died for us and he died in our place and how you become a believer is you step into that. You say, I, I, I accept what you did for me on the cross. I trust what you did for me. I can't earn it. I can't be good enough. I step into that with all that I am. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Be in charge, the boss in me. I give you first place in my life. I give you everything that I am, no matter what it costs. Some of you need to do that for the very first time this morning 
Just pray that simple prayer. I, I, I want that. I want what Mark's talking about. I step into that. It'll change you. It'll be a miracle thing in your life. Others of us, we've experienced that a long time ago. But right now, right now we're in a time that's confusing. Right now we're in a time where we can't see. Right now we're in a time where it doesn't make any sense and all the promises of God seem like they're a million miles away. But God hasn't changed. It's just that His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts so much more than us that we can never grasp it. But He freely gave us His only Son, don't you see how much he loves you? Don't doubt his character. Don't doubt his heart right now. Step into it. Trust. Take that next little small step, no matter how heavy and difficult it might be. The Father loves you. More than any mother here or any father here could ever love their own children. He loves you, little boy. He loves you, little girl. No matter what you're going through right now, know that. Know that. And take the next small right step. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that we would be people of faith. And we thought faith was feeling these amazing feelings and speaking out these amazing words. And sometimes... It's just living a picture of taking the next small, right, difficult step when we can't even walk, we can't even do it. As we trust in you and we trust your heart and we believe that you are good. God, some of us right now for the very first time are stepping into that great sacrifice. The sacrifice that changed everything, that gives us the chance to walk with you and know you and be your children and be with you forever. We don't understand all about that, but thank you so much I see what it costs you I can catch just barely a, a bit of the feeling of it but thank you Father thank you Jesus some of us have been arguing and thinking oh there's many ways to God we've fallen into the culture God forgive us that we would think you're so foolish that you would go through such pain for nothing as just one of the many ways. God, let us step into you and all that you have for us. And we say, come, kingdom of God upon us, be done, will of God in us, and let not one of us within the sound of my voice in this moment get away from this story of Abraham and Isaac as he teaches us through a movie what you're like and how much you love us. Let it change our lives this week in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you, community of faith. We're going to have some prayers up here at the front to pray with you. I want you to have a great week, a great Mother's Day. Love you so much. See you next weekend.